I'm of the generation where now a lot of my peers have their own restaurants and they're all doing so amazing, but we're also probably not the new kids on the block anymore, which is it's kind of a bit scary. Um, but that's also really exciting for me to not know any of these people and go think, oh, wow, like, who is this person? What are they doing? And seeing the, the fresh ideas that are, are coming out. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The summer series of Deep in the Weeds continues today and we have the amazing Kylie Javier Ashton on today's show. Kylie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you've We've caught up with you a couple of times and um, uh, with the closure of Mamafuku and all sorts of things like that. Um, how are things at the moment? What are you up to? Um, yeah, good. I'm kind of working on a few different things. Um, still doing my tie-dye business, um, working in learning and development now, which has been really interesting part of my journey. Yeah, um, still, you know, in the hospitality sector. Um, but, yeah, trying to, I guess, focus on other people's development and wanting to really push our industry forward. So it's kind of exciting and very different, but I'm really enjoying it. So, yeah. It's, I don't know that I'll ever be able to leave the food industry or hospitality industry because it's, you know, so special to me. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, like I know that everyone's been doing it. It's been a really hard few years, um, but it feels like we're kind of coming at the other end of it. I don't want to jinx it, but um, it definitely feels like there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel, which is really lovely. Well, you were at the helm of a, a restaurant that was a real destination, you know, not just for Australians, but people would fly into Australia to come to your restaurant. Um, what about yourself? Did you do, have you done a lot of traveling to go specifically to destinations? Do you have any stories of those? Um, yeah, look, I think like after I kind of got into hospitality, that's the center of all of my travel. I was actually kind of thinking back, um, of trips that I've done and it, it's all really been centered around food. So um, even our honeymoon, for example, like Luke and I got married 10 years ago and the year after we got married, we went on a big honeymoon, basically traveled the world for four weeks and eating and drinking and yeah, it was pretty incredible. Tell, tell us where you went and is there any sort of meals or um, moments that um, really stood out for you? Um, yeah, look, I think like our first stop was LA and I think there was this, this one moment where we were at, we got to stay at Chateau Marmont for a night, which was pretty incredible. Um, and you know, just drinking like champagne and having like something simple, like a cheese board, but just sitting in this incredible place that has so much history was pretty special. Um, we went to 11 Madison Park um, where I, it was just, you know, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of still pretty jet lagged, <laughs> um, quite drunk because, you know, the servings of alcohol, I remember having a Negroni for like 
a pre-dinner drink and realizing, oh man, like this is not an Australian Negroni. An American Negroni is like a double Negroni. And before we even got into the meal, I was like feeling pretty tipsy. (laughs) Um, Don't remember the second half really, but again, pretty incredible. We got to go to Blue's Hill at Stone, uh, Blue Hills at Stone Barn, um, we went to the MAD Festival in Copenhagen as part of our honeymoon, um, then to Japan. So it was just like all centered around food and I guess the people that, you know, inspire us when it does come to food. So I felt very fortunate to have been able to, uh, for Luke and I to kind of share that experience, but also to just eat at these really incredible restaurants all around the world, um, like that's that's our life we eat and drink and so our honeymoon was all about that it was yeah really special uh, 11 Madison Park is an extraordinary experience so you mentioned um, Dan Barber's place as well we've had him on the podcast Did, can you take us through that experience and because it's so different to 11 Madison Park oh yeah and so we had to catch the train um, to Stone Barns, I think that's what it's called oh my gosh it's like 10 years ago now but um, it's beautiful because it's like this whole property and we I remember us being one of the first tables that sat so it was like still daylight um, and as we progressed through the meal you could see like the dining room filling up and just the atmosphere really shifted and changed and at one point in the meal um, towards the beginning they kind of we're going to do a bread course later on. So we got to choose like the grains that we wanted within the bread and then they were going to go mill them. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And then sort of I think sort of halfway through um, the meal, we got invited to sit out in this tiny little barn. It was just Luke and I and it overlooked all of the the fields and the gardens it was just the two of us it was so incredible I was just like I was blown away because it was just this really intimate opportunity for us to be like in our own little world and we had a few courses out there and then we went back onto the patio and had our desserts there and it was by that time it was like it was dark and it was just really special. There was like this progression through the meal, but it didn't feel, um, I don't know, it didn't feel overly choreographed. It felt very natural and um, it was really, really special to be able to be in that place and, you know, just in the evening like watching the dining room fill up and go from being bright and light and the sun going down to then having like these really intimate moments. It was yeah, really special. You spend a lot of time working with um, Paul Carmichael, uh, whose heritage goes back to the Caribbean. Um, you visited his mum, didn't you, and and shared some food with her? Yeah, and I would have to say that's probably on my, like, sort of one of the top experiences that I've ever had. Um, if I was to think about travel and just being in another place, I think that at that point, Paul and I had probably been working together for maybe a year and a half, maybe two years, probably. Yeah. So like, you know, we were still, we were quite, we, you know, we hit it off right from the beginning, but I think that that trip really solidified our, um, our friendship, our, connection you know I we really became family um through that trip I think 
I being able to spend time with his family and it just helped me understand Paul, but it also gave me like this connection to the Caribbean culture, food, um, the place, like it is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, and just the hospitality that his family showed myself and Luke was so, so special. Like, um, yeah, it, it, my family is very similar. You know, we're very open and we just welcome people in. And I just felt that sense of like I belonged there. His mom cooked us all these things that I had reference to through the restaurant, but she cooked me like her version, like the OG version. Um, and I think that that just, you know, I – feel this real affinity to Barbados and to the Caribbean through that experience because I felt so welcomed and accepted and that that was just a really special feeling and it gave me so much more drive coming back because I felt a real responsibility to represent the food, the culture, the people in a way that would really honour them but do that experience justice um because yeah it's I don't know it it really I guess it changed me as a person it helped me to um develop ways you know of understanding in a completely different way Paul's food is absolutely spectacular and um every meal that I ever had there was just one that I've never forgotten but to go back to the source and which is, you know, his inspiration for his creation. Is, was there any sort of dish that really resonated with you or ingredients that uh, his mum prepared? Um, oh, actually there was, there's this breakfast dish. Um, and so they are, there's this bread called a bake, which is actually fried, but it's a coconut bake made with coconut. So it's not actually sweet, well, there is a little bit of sweetness to it, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's like very, very sweet. And then she makes like this salted cod, which she fried and had with the these coconut bakes. And it was so good. And I know it was one of Paul's favorite dishes growing up, but it was quite funny because his mum was cooking his breakfast. I took a photo of her, sent it to Paul while we were there. And he was like, I know exactly what she's making from the way she's like standing over the pan. You're having coconut bakes and salted fish for breakfast. He's like, that is my favorite thing in the whole world. And it was just like, obviously for him, you know, he just knew exactly what was happening. And it's quite funny how, you know, food and those memories can just bring you back in an instant, like to a different time and different place. So that was, and it's so simple, but that's something that, uh, it really sticks in my mind because just the sweet and the salty, the crunch, the way that it was just so simple. But I think that that's what the best, what best, the best food is. It's, it's simplicity. That's just done so well. And you can't make things simply and well without confidence and the experience to do so. I don't think, cause it's all about balance and really nailing all of those you know, components um, that makes it so good. You mentioned uh, the similarities between the families and that genuine hospitality that your own family has. You've got Filipino heritage. Is there any sort of um, dishes or um, moments that you've had exploring that for yourself? Oh, 
What, like Filipino food do you mean or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up, like I'm really lucky. I'm part of a huge family um, and so food is the centre of our world. I think that like if I was thinking about a really special time and food for me, there's this experience I would say, I call it, in Filipino food, which is called a boodle fight. And basically it's a communal dining experience where you just lay banana leaves all over the table and everybody gathers around um, and then all of the rice, there's no plates or any or cutlery, um, all of the rice there's normally like fried and fresh seafood and dishes it all gets kind of like dumped into the middle of the table or arranged I shouldn't say dumped it's normally like arranged very nicely to um and then everybody kind of just sits around the table and eats with their hands and you know like by the end of it there's just a bit of carnage but also just like a bunch of like seafood shells and and it's very I don't know, it's so visceral because you're eating with your hands, you're with the Yeah, and it's really cool. Like I was actually looking at the etymology of like why is it called brutal fight? Um, but I think it comes back from because Philippines has very strong military ties with the US and brutal is kind of like booty. So like when they had um, sweets and um, contraband, I guess, given to the military like you know, the, the alcohol, they'd put it all into the middle of the table and everyone would fight to like get the, the sweet treats and stuff that they weren't normally supposed to have. So it came from that where you just kind of put everything in the middle and it's a bit of a free for all, but um, yeah, the Filipinos have adapted it into like this, this whole eating experience. And we did it once at my mum's house with my cousins and it wasn't something that I had really we'd ever done before and I was like this is amazing like there's no washing up because there's no plates <laughs> it's just like you just throw the the banana leaves out afterwards and everyone keeps on having a great time so yeah that's a pretty incredible experience I think in terms of Filipino culture. Summer's such a celebration of food as well is there any sort of food or feasts that remind you of summer? Um I have a crustacean allergy, but prawns is like the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> well, I don't have, I, I, I struggle with crustaceans. It's not necessarily an allergy, um, but that kind of reminds me of growing up. Like I think seafood in Australia is pretty synonymous with summer and um, even Christmas, you know, but growing up, my, my dad used to go to the markets every Saturday um, and particularly in summer, we would just have a big seafood cook up like he'd normally get mud crabs and just have rice with that on a weekend probably why I'm intolerant to crustaceans now because I ate them so much <laughs> growing up <You> overdosed. <laughs> I overdosed. Um, but yeah that's probably you know I think we're so lucky to have that incredible produce in Australia um, and that to me is really like that is what summer is to me eating with your hands, whether it's, you know, prawns at the beach or like oysters, being outside. Um, hopefully this year we'll get some good weather. But to me, like, and growing up, that to, if I was to think about summer, that is, that's it. The evolution of the culinary landscape has been extraordinary in, in Australia, particularly the last 10 years, and you've been a huge part of that. But what's your favourite thing going on in food in Australia at the moment? Um, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, 
I kind of, I think it was really hard after COVID. I was just, you know, like I sort of had to turn off a lot of being so entrenched in the food industry because I it, it really got me down, to be honest. Um, and I think I'm kind of starting to feel okay enough to like, you know, venture out a little bit more and be, I don't know, uh, invested in, in the industry. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, like I felt like I just wanted to protect myself a little bit because everything I read, I just felt it made me feel a little bit depressed, to be honest. Um, and so seeing more good news stories I think is really great. Um, the exciting thing is that we're open. Like uh, I know that we're, we've kind of moved on from COVID and it feels like um, it nev- like people are trying to forget that it even happened, which I totally get. Um, but I think that those scars still run so deep and, just the fact that people are open, um, we're seeing some positivity, you know, it's still really hard, but I'm trying to slowly dip my toes in a little bit more at a time and, and yeah, feel more positive. But look, I, I see so many great things happening. Um, and this new generation of people that I don't really know, you know, I guess like I'm of the generation where now a lot of my peers have their own restaurants and they're all doing so amazing, but we're also probably not the new kids on the block anymore, which is it's kind of a bit scary. Um, but that's also really exciting for me to not know any of these people and go think, oh, wow, like who is this person? What are they doing? And seeing the, the fresh ideas that are, are coming out. Um, but I guess also the celebration of, different cultures um, and people I think are seeking out more than just our, your typical European cuisines that we're all so familiar with. And even the the standard say, you know, I think Australians are pretty um, up to speed with what's going on in a lot of Asian countries, but even stuff like Korean food, say, for example, which wasn't as popular two or three years ago is like, I think really having a moment and hopefully I'm really hoping Filipino food is, is right around the corner too. Um, actually you've got an amazing, yeah, you've got an amazing, um, Filipino restaurant in Canberra called Lola and Lola's. I don't know if you've ever been, but you've got I, to go. I, I have been, it's, and it's fantastic. I agree. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's meant <laughs> yes. to be our secret little place, Kylie. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. Broadcasting it to the nation. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't go there. You'll um, love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I Actually, I went there and I had, like, Sinigang is my mum's signature dish. And you know when somebody – has another version of your mum's signature dish, you're like really skeptical. Um, I had this, I think it was a beef and watermelon sinigang there, and it was oh my god. I I was surprised at myself and a little bit shocked that I loved this version of Sinigang so much. Um, and Kim, who's one of the owners gave me the, she was like, gave me the recipe, but I'm not even game enough to try it because it was so good. It was so, so, so good. And for me to say anybody else's Sinigang is as good as my mom's is pretty like, I don't know, that feels sacrilegious to me. So 
Yeah, I, I think it was like a special and I don't know if she'll ever make it again, but if she does, you need to go try it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, Kylie, as ever, it's amazing to catch up with you and it's very exciting to hear that um, you're part of influencing the, the next generation and uh, you got your toes back in the water in hospitality because you're an absolute legend. Um, have a great summer and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. You too. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. 